Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm your host, Mark Griffin. We've had a fantastic lineup of guests over the last few weeks on this podcast, and today is no exception. Joining me today is the host of Catholic Answers Live and also the Catholic Answers Focus podcast, the wonderful Cy Kellett. The main topic of our discussion today will be a new video presentation from Cy, which we've recently released here at Perusia in partnership with Catholic Answers, entitled Whatever Happened to the Modern World. In our discussion today, we'll drill right down into this topic and then with the added perspective of the last few months of madness, maybe we can even find a little hope for the future too. At the end of this interview, you can purchase a copy of Sai's new video via our online store at perusiamedia.com. And you can also now stream this as well as part of a subscription to the new Perusia On Demand platform by visiting perusia.vhx.tv. If you're watching this podcast via YouTube, don't forget to click the bell to be notified as new episodes are released. Alternatively, you can subscribe to the podcast through any of the various podcast apps. And we ask that you also please spread the word, encourage others to subscribe as well to help build the Parisia podcast community. Well, that's enough of the formalities. Please now sit back and enjoy my discussion with the host of Catholic Answers Live, Cy Kellett. Cy, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you, Mark, for having me. Now, you've actually just finished two hours uh, of live radio. How are you feeling? Are you up to this at the moment? I am, yeah. Yeah, the crash comes later. You're, you're still riding the uh, adrenaline from that, yeah. Oh, oh, good. So I've noticed you're in the office. You haven't gone home yet, so we've still no, got I you in, in work mode, so that's great. <laughs> now, as I mentioned, um, when we spoke a few months back, um, things were a little bit different, I think it's fair to say. Hasn't the world changed uh, in the last eight months or so? Yes. Yeah, a little in, in terrifying ways, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, very much unexpected. And, and I suppose we're still working through everything that's, uh, that's yeah. involved in trying to, to regain some sort of normality. And how are things going over there for you guys? And, and more importantly, the, the Catholic Answers Apostolate, are you guys surviving? Are you coping? And, and how do things look different at the moment for you guys over there? Well, it's funny that you asked because today was the very first day that uh, staff that had been out of the building was back. We were still doing the radio show in the very early week or two of the whole COVID-19 thing. I did the show from home and we were trying to find ways to really social distance. Uh, and then we kind of figured out, you know, we could do that here in the studio. Like there's a glass partition between me and the audio engineer and that kind of thing. So we've been doing the show. And for me, I feel very grateful for that. I, I know that there are other people like me, uh, but we're a weird group, like people who can easily become unstuck in time and space if there's not some anchor every day of I have to be in this place doing this thing. And so for me, the show has been a real blessing because I have it's kind of minimized that sense of total disruption and, and sure. given me a place where I had to be, something I had to do. Um, and so I was very grateful for that. But for us, we're just coming back now. California is beginning to reopen. Other states are m much more open than California is. And then I think there's a bit of fear that comes with that. And maybe I don't know if you're experiencing that in Australia, because um, I think, uh, you know, Australia uh, is just you have a, a protective ocean all the way around you. And most people in the world don't have that. And so uh, for us, reopening, there's a lot of fear about it. But then we had this horrible killing of this uh, a man by the police in Minnesota, 
which also upended the American, the whole American uh, scene. And now I guess that's, uh, uh, that's spreading around the world. I was going so to say the, that that's, that's spread down here as well. We're seeing all sorts yeah. of protests and demonstrations relating yeah. to that as well down here. So that, that's not just yeah. an American thing. That's international too. No, and 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 usually when these things happen, I think people are uh, who we have such a sh- a poor memory of history. Usually, when these things happen, uh, the next thing that happens is somebody invades somebody because it seems like sure. a good time to get it done. And so, I, I know that Australia has been uh, very clear with uh, China in a way that other countries have not. You, I don't think you're going to get invaded because of that, but. Um, you know, never you, see never. What, you see what's going on in Hong Kong and Taiwan, and yeah. and I don't I don't want to put it all on the Chinese. It's just that usually historically, when things get this unsettled, people start settling differences that have been simmering for a long time. So I, it's a very unsettled uh, time. I don't know that I if I answered your question, but we're starting to get back to normal, but it doesn't feel like normal at all. Yeah, uh, you guys had a, a fundraising drive. Uh, right in the middle yep. of this as well. And how how was that impacted? I'm, I'm guessing you didn't necessarily reach the heights of, of where you might have reached otherwise, but are you, you in a position where everything's still sustainable and, and, and moving forward? Uh, well, let me take 10 minutes out of your program to ask people <laughs> to send money to Catholic Answers and then I'll... No, uh, we, we were really not sure at all what would happen. You just didn't know. You know, you had this sense of, I don't know, like, but the outpouring of support was really impressive. We did not feel even 1% decline. It was, now we had people, we had one lady who called and gave us what she called her Trump bucks. Because I don't know if you know about this in Australia, but you know, of course we have President Trump as the president. And then they gave everybody $1,200. Like here, spend some money because we we don't want to go into a depression. So she called it her Trump bucks and she gave it to us. And so I don't know, but I, some people were doing very well. Some people really hurting. I feel like the people who were doing well picked up the slack and made it okay for us. So uh, how that will be going forward, none of us knows. Um, uh, but it, thank thank God, so far people have been very generous. Yeah, we can relate. We had similar stimulus measures uh, that have come yeah. about trying to to keep the economy going. Obviously, in such an uncertain time, that who knows what's around the corner. But yeah, so I I understand that people are really yeah. struggling financially, and I would be very happy to give you ten minutes of this program to to promote <laughs> you guys in a fundraising effort. Um, I, I don't want to blow my own trumpet here, but I'm also a donor, a monthly donor to Catholic Answers, and I encourage anybody anybody listening to to join in with that because it is such a valuable apostolate in the Catholic world. And, and here at Parisi, we're very grateful for the work that you guys are doing, and we, we try to partner very closely um, with that work because we see the value in it, and we hope to spread that uh, to all the people down here in our region as well. So... For all of those listening who are in a position to maybe contribute a little bit uh, to support the work of Catholic Answers, I, I strongly encourage you to do that. That's why the, the best way to do that, to go to the catholic.com website, or is there a better way to... Oh, you're very kind, Mark. You're very kind. You can. We have a thing called givecatholic.com people can right. go to. Okay. And thank you for your words of support. I think you know that the, those of us who have met you, especially from Catholic Answers, uh, we feel the same way about Perusia and all the work that you all are doing. I mean, uh, it's a, I don't know, it's such a, it's a weird time, but also a privileged time that like you can just talk on a computer and reach 
more people in a few minutes than St. Paul reached in his whole life. That's right. You know? it's, it's bizarre, it's really isn't it? Extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Now, just just on that topic as well, that, that's that's what you do for a living. You've got your your daily radio show, your every weekday there in in uh, in the US, and within that show, just the last little while, you've regularly said that you're just trying to be good company for people. Oh, you heard are, that? Yeah. Who are in isolation? Well, you've said it so many times. So. Yeah. But let me first say that mission accomplished. You've been great company. It's been great to have that there, regular, every day. This Catholic perspective on everything that's going around, all the craziness. It's been fantastic to have just a Catholic Catholic perspective. People are are phoning in with their own troubles and their own questions about everything that's going yeah. on, and we're just getting this this idea from all the guests that you have as to to how we can best approach it and, and cope with our changes. So so thank you for for being able to continue with that and and yeah. for reaching out um, daily to to give us that that comfort, if you like, just that. That, that well, solid background to, to all the, the madness that's going on. So, Yeah, thank you, Mark. I really do think that a lot of that comes from the fact that we needed it ourselves here. Sure, sure. You know, you just have that, like a lot of times we'll do the show and I won't show it to you now, but there's kind of a studio here with some chairs over there. Yep. And because it's all dark, you wouldn't be able to see it anyway. And people come in, it's like, a, it's, it's lively and all that. And then when we're doing this show the last three months or so, or two months or however long it's been, it's me and Nick and Marie, you know, and then, uh, or, and Brandon or one of the video people over here and, and, you know, or me and Darren and Marie or, but it just, we really needed that connection. It's sure. really nice, you know, yeah. to get to talk to people on the phone and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we've very much appreciated the, um, the ongoing presence. So thank you. And, and thank you about the good work <laughs> over the last few months. Um, I suppose, especially with things going wrong, or, or less than the way we would have expected to go, it makes us really think of where we're at in the world at the moment. Now, we, we chatted, as I mentioned at the start, briefly in the last time we, we had a, a conversation on the Cradio platform. We chatted about one um, presentation in particular that you gave at the conference. It actually opened our conference when you were here last year in October. Uh, the topic uh, of that, well, so the, the topic that you, you spoke on, uh, you entitled that presentation, Whatever Happened to the Modern World. Yeah. Now, and just, just for the listeners as well, the, the reason I bring that up is that we actually just released a video of that, which you can actually purchase uh, a, a version of that video through our, our Perusian Media store page. So go to perusianmedia.com. You can actually stream that video as well through our Perusia On Demand platform, and that uh, can be found at perusia.vhx.tv. So we'll put the, uh, the details to both of those links in the show notes for those listening. But I'd like to just to focus a little bit on that presentation today. Um, okay. And while doing that, um, we can also maybe, um, with the added perspective of the last few months, maybe we can find a little hope for the future as well. Um, to start off in this particular presentation, you take us right back to Genesis, and then you give us a brief summary of salvation history. Now, when we're talking about the modern world, why do we need to start back in Genesis? Because the, the salvation history that was finally uh, brought to its its climax with the coming of the Son of God and his uh, death for us and resurrection uh, is the prerequisite for something like the modern world. And, and, and I say something like because, you know, uh, other societies are also possible. I don't I do not believe that history gets to modernity and that's it. That's the end. Now, then it's just modern for the rest. I, I do believe uh, that there's a future 
that holds things that uh, and holds ways of living and people's ways of conceiving of themselves and what they're doing that go beyond what modern people have accomplished. Uh, uh, at least that's my my great hope. I, I think uh, part of what may bring that about is the failure of the modern world, as we'll probably talk about. Sure. Uh, that that people will see that something better needs to be put in its place. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's not to say that 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 there's that that the modern world is not an advance. It is an advance, but it's not the last step in human history. It's a it's a moment in the progress of. Salvation history, I really believe that, that modern history is connected to salvation history. It's part of salvation history. And without Jesus, there's no modern world. It's not that it would have happened later or it would have, it would not happen. It could not happen without him. So that's why I go all the way back to Genesis. I talk about the fall and the introduction of sin uh, into human history. One of the the, the things you talk about there actually is... Um, this idea of we fell away from God, humanity yeah. fell away from God, and then we tried to make it on our own. Yeah, Tower of Babel. Sorry, the Tower of Babel, exactly. And yeah. and then from there, God began the rescue plan. He we, he right. he couldn't leave it to us. We weren't capable. We very quickly demonstrated we weren't capable of fixing this. This is something beyond what, right. what we could do. And and then began the rescue plan with Abraham. Yes, and I, the, the, it's very eerie story, the Tower of Babel, bec- yeah. for modern people, because we can see ourselves in it. There's no question that we're doing the exact same thing again. Sure. We're building a great city and a tower. That's, I mean, really, that in a certain sense, this, this, the story should, we, we maybe shouldn't call it the story of the Tower of Babel. We should call it the story of the great city and the tower. And that's what we're building. We're building a global city, and we're heading out to the stars, and we're, uh, all of this is our solution. And it will end exactly the way it ended the first time in disaster uh, if God does not intervene. And so you do have really very pointedly in the Bible that the the end of the story of the Tower of Babel is concomitant, almost virtually. There's a little chapter in between, but then starts uh, a man named Abram. You know, we have a person, a very specific person uh, who God calls and this starts God's remaking of human history and this work within human history of, of salvation, which culminates in Jesus and which is still going on uh, today. Sure. Uh, and if you don't know that story, if you don't know that that's the human story, that the human story involves trying to solve it on our own, trying to build our own tower to heaven, one that excludes God and that God he doesn't care. He doesn't want any of that. He wants to call people who will bring uh, the kingdom of God about. And that's what the call of Abraham uh, initiates. Now, when, when we go through that story, we see all of these covenants that God makes with us. And, right. and then we, we're the ones that mark it up each step of the way. And then yeah. there's a new covenant and then we mark it up and then there's a new covenant and then we mark it up. And that all culminates in the coming of the Messiah and, and yeah. the new covenant. Um, throughout salvation history, there was a knowledge um, of the prophesied Messiah coming. And that, in a sense, I suppose, that in its, that alone provided a sense of hope. With the arrival of the Messiah, we begin Project Christendom. And that yeah. began its spread throughout the world. And along the way, that established um, what we would consider in society even now, our most essential institutions. 
uh, and they, they still, they remain to this day, such as the universities, such as the hospitals, and of course, most importantly, Jesus established the church. It almost feels like that, that the world has taken the hospitals, taken the universities and, and claimed them as their own, and if you like, secularized them. But at the same time, they've dismissed the, the church as maybe just a superstitious remnant of the dark ages. So how do you think that has come about the way that it has? Um, the work of demons. <laughs> and I mean that quite literally. I mean that no. not in a figurative or symbolic sense. If you look at what Jesus does in the first or uh, in the second chapter of Mark's gospel, right there at the beginning of his ministry, he comes and says, you know, repent. Uh, the time is at hand, repent, believe the good news, okay, the, the kingdom of God. So those things are all right there in that original proclamation. Then what, is, what does he do? He goes and he heals and he casts out demons. So these are the three things that Jesus does. He teaches, he heals, and he casts out demons. And this is what marks his reign as the Messiah. He teaches, he heals, and he casts out demons. That's what the church does wherever it goes. It teaches, it heals, and it casts out demons. That's why, as you said, in the medieval period, what's very noticeable, hospitals for healing, universities for teaching, and cathedrals and churches for casting out demons, for making the word holy. Well, the world no longer believes in demons, and so it, and this is because of the work of demons, I believe. Um, so. It ignores the parishes that do the key work, which is sanctifying things, casting out demons and making us holy. And it takes to itself the hospitals and the universities and secularizes them and cuts God off from them. I do believe all of that is the work of demons. I believe the primary work of demons in the world is to keep people from receiving Jesus in the Eucharist. Because the Eucharist is the highest good, the primary work of demons is to cut people off from the Eucharist. And so this secularizing process is a process of putting the parishes over to the side. And as I say in the talk, I don't know if I said it when I was there in Australia, if you go to the medieval world, what's the greatest building in the medieval world? It's the cathedral. You go to the modern world, what's the greatest building in the modern world? It's the sports stadium. So it's in a certain, and what do we do in the sports stadium? We have liturgies of sports and rock concerts. So we replace the liturgy, the Eucharistic liturgy with these other things, which are not bad things, but that's not how demons work. They don't just give you evil things. They take good things of the lower kind and replace them in your heart and mind with the good things of a higher kind. Sure. And, and something interesting you said there as well is the aim of the demons is to convince people that they don't exist. And I think even... Uh, C.S. Lewis in um, yeah, his yeah. classic work, The Screwtape Letters, I think that's a theme within it, that, that, yeah. um, that this theme of we have to convince them that, that we don't exist and that we're not real. It's a long, long time since I read that book, but I'm pretty sure that theme is, is definitely... Everybody, everybody all throughout history has known that demons are real. Everybody. It has never gotten past the human imagination to understand that they're real until the modern period. Sure. And we can see it all around us that all of the things that that we might look at as demonic, but the world has accepted as um, pop culture, if you like. You see it in yeah. movies, you see it in, right. in, in TV, you, you just see it everywhere, this idea that um, demons and the, the supernatural and all of that stuff, it's fun, it's something that needs to be um, tried and experienced, but 
you know, there's, there's, there's two sources of supernatural and it's, if it's not of God, then it's demonic, you, you would have to say. And, and people are so willing to accept it just as, as pop culture. This is just what we do now. Yeah, and I, and I, I speak about I speak about the psychics and I speak about um, all the the horoscopes and things like that. You know that everything that people just accept it's in the daily paper and it's all around us and all that. That's sort of very stuff. that's very true. I don't think that the I, you know I, I, the demons are are satisfied if you'll just be a natural man if you'll just live a natural life. That's fine with them as long as you stay away from Christ in the Eucharist. They they know they can do their job, and you're no threat to them, and you're no problem sure. for them. And that that's where our power comes from, Christ in the Eucharist. So that's amen. It, that's, it does. that's why there's the urgency to to remind people of that as as we go along in the work that we're doing and the work that you're doing as well. Um, moving on, you make the claim that, in your opinion, modernity as we know it began on October fifteen seventeen, a, a very exact date, but most people might know that that. That is, you know, the date of Martin Luther and, and his 95 right. theses. Others may have a different view on, on the actual oh, dating of that, but why right. do you in particular place it there? Well, mostly, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to be somewhat provocative. Of course, there's not a, you don't just have a day where you go from one era to the next. Um, the invention of the printing press in the 15th century, the discovery of America by uh, Christopher Columbus, um, the, the, the rise of uh, of new ways of studying and thinking uh, that are, are are coming up uh, the the Italian Renaissance all of these things are part of the the birth of the modern world Brunelleschi's dome uh, you know in um, in Florence uh, but I pick the um, uh, Martin Luther's the beginning of the Martin Luther's revolution which becomes the thing called the Reformation. Uh, as the date, because all of the, the other things have a, a elements of modern, but all of the elements are there in Martin Luther's thing. In the modern world, we are, uh, we believe that if a thing is put in writing, that that makes it official. That's never been the, that's never been the, the human standard, but we believe in written constitutions, written laws. All of this starts with the writing of Martin Luther uh, and his uh, elevation of the written scripture as the only source of authority. So uh, also the, uh, the modern idea that reasoned argument is, uh, is the thing essentially that is salvific. This comes from Martin Luther, the idea that we have these conversations about the written word in scripture. Uh, and so reason is elevated above things like experience through sacraments. Martin Luther does away with the, with the physical world in many ways and abstracts us. All of this is um, uh, uh, very, very modern. Uh, and, so, and then also the idea that you make progress through revolutions. This is, this is the modern world in a sentence. Progress comes through revolutions. This is nothing that medieval people or the people of Christendom would have bought into. You, that's not how you make progress. You make progress by the toil of, the, the, of life in Christ. That's how progress is made. Um, and, so, and even the concern with progress is very, very, very modern. So all the elements of the modern mind are there in Martin Luther. And they're, 
And because they're given a kind of religious fervor and justification and intensity, then they, they, be, they create a new world, which is the modern world. I think it's fair to say, and the key word that you're using there is revolution. History knows it as the Reformation, but it really was a revolution. It was an, an out with the old and in with the new approach. It wasn't trying to mold what was there and, and to develop on that. It was very much out with the old, in with the new. Um, and it's a revolution based on writing and reasoning. Yeah. And this is what modern people have come to believe, that writing and reasoning and revolutions, the three R's, even though writing is not, um, that <laughs> this is what makes a modern person. This is what makes the modern, we believe in scientific revolutions and artistic revolutions, political and economic revolutions. We believe these revolutions are like a wheel going around making progress. That is not true, but that's what we believe. God laid us out the church. He, he he instituted the church. He left us the church. We had that to work with. That was our that was our path to sanctification. Yeah. In what Martin Luther did, it's like his own Tower of Babel scenario. He's he's turned his back on what God's provided. Said, "Oh, we can do this on our own. We can come up with our own way." So I suppose we can liken that back then to to where your your whole presentation begins back in Genesis and back with the fall of man. Why well, do I you don't think? Sorry, go on. Yeah. I just I just want to make sure that I don't assign I don't assign malice to Martin Luther in doing that. It may sure. be that he was a malicious person. I don't know. I don't know what's in his heart, but I do think that's a trap that he fell into. I don't whether he intended that or not. I don't know. What I know is that is a trap that he did fall into. Yes, and I think that's fair to say that about any scenario in history where we can say we got it wrong or, or someone got it wrong there in history. We're not necessarily accusing them we're not judging them who are we to judge as as it said we we don't know the state of their soul we don't know what they were thinking we are looking at it very very much from an objective point of view that what happened was wrong and yes. we're, we're not necessarily laying any blame with the person more just providing right. a commentary if you like on what took place so i, I think that's a, that's a fair distinction that needs to be made there okay why do you think so many people from the Catholic perspective so easily lost their focus on the church and how everything had been set up and were so open to accepting the ideas and the teachings of Martin Luther. Well, I mean, a lot of things got mixed up in it. There was the new idea of, of nationalism was on the rise. There's a certain um, distaste in Northern Europe for Southern Europe. And um, uh, there's all kinds of political intrigue that goes into it. So, I mean, it has all the elements of, of a great victory long in the planning for forces that hate the church. And I don't mean human forces. Again, I, I don't like, I don't use the idea of demons melodramatically, I don't think. It's just that I believe in them and sure. they're active and they're working in human history. And I think if you don't believe in them, why are you Catholic? I mean, you should be Catholic. Don't leave. I'm just saying that, that, that that's one of the things Jesus does is he overcomes demons. And, it, sure. and that's part of what we're called to do as Christians. Uh, so I, I do believe in their work. So I believe it's many, many and very intelligent plans, well laid, coming to fruition, including a lot of resentment in Northern Europe against uh, Southern Europe without, without question. Is, is it fair to say that a part of this uh, was that Fake news was alive and well back in the day as well. It's not just something that's here and now. Well, I mean, the 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 invention of the printing press was a great, it was a tremendous ennobling thing, but it also, I mean, I guess it's like the invention of the internet. Sure. It's this great thing, but it unleashes 
the worst in us just as much as it unleashes the best in us. It gives people a platform. Yeah. uh, And it's if people don't, you know, if people don't are not familiar with the history, the invention of the printing press and movable print and all that is just as important historically as the invention of the internet. It's just as transformative and, and all of that. Sure, absolutely. And, and that we can see the progress of technology throughout the generations. That's not just something that all of a sudden hit. What we see now, the benefits of what we've got now had their origins back in something maybe a little bit more um, archaic, if you like, but it's, that's still that's the origin of where we got to now. It's just yeah. the world that led up to, to the modern world. Um, now, we've talked about the Tower of Babel. And, and maybe Martin Luther's whole 95 Theses was his own Tower of Babel. What do you see as the big things in the world today that we could say that is a modern-day Tower of Babel? You touched on a few at the start, but what are the big things that we can see this isn't going to end well? Well, I think, um, you know, there's a certain natural unity of the human race. We're God's children. But sometimes there are people who prey upon the desire for unity uh, and create false sense of unity. And so when you have uh, a sense that, you know, there are these do good people and many of them are, are actually funded by these um, foundations in the United States, such as the Ford Foundation or the Rockefeller Foundation, sure. uh, they promote a unified world and they want a unified world and they, but they, they attribute qualities to it that they insist on in the people who get their money, like openness to what they call reproductive rights and uh, a, a redefinition of, of the family, a redefinition of what it is to be a man and a woman. I mean, we saw a, that happened in the Supreme court in the United States today. And you may not know about it in Australia, but I found it very sad and disheartening. This idea that, uh, the Supreme Court just made up another rule for us that 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 transgender uh, identity is the same as you know male female identity. So the identities that we make up, in other words, are uh, just as important as the ones God made up. Uh, so um, I, I see those things as qualities of the Tower of Babel. Yes, I do. That there's a certain sense in which. The, the sin of the people of the Tower of Babel is they're all of one accord, basically. Well, you don't get to all being of one accord without a lot of abuse of the human conscience and about, of the dignity of other people. I mean, the Nazis were all of one accord. How did they get to all be of one accord? They killed the people who weren't of accord with them. They tortured, they murdered, they threatened, they intimidated. All of that is part of the Tower of Babel. And all of that we see arising again today in the world. I mean, in a certain sense, I don't want to pick on China because I actually, I mean, the Chinese culture is one of the greatest gifts God ever gave humanity. When the Chinese culture finally comes to its full flower, it will be a gift unimaginable to what we see now. But the people who run China are evil communists. They're oppressors, they're torturers, they're dictators. And the one accord that they want with all this social, you know, capital stuff that they do. And this is abusive of the human person. You cannot get to being of one accord in that sense without abusing the living daylights out of millions and millions and millions of people, you know? And so that's what the Tower of Babel is. And that's where I see it today. You know, 
media is very bullying. It tries to make you feel like you're not right because you don't agree. It tries to force you to be of one accord and to tempt you and to seduce you into being of one accord. And if you go, no, I don't, if you're like J.K. Rowling, can you believe J.K. Rowling has become a hero? Yeah. Um, And, you know, just because she says, sorry, but a woman is not the same as a man. And they just abuse her and bully her and, and mansplain to her, you know, <laughs> that, that she doesn't understand what womanhood is. Yeah. That's building the Tower of Babel. And there's, you just highlighted just there, there's so much of that going on in the world. And if, yeah. where, where you place the modern world, you can say, well, Martin Luther was the beginning of the end. Um, but, you know, we, we've progressed on from there. And if it goes unchecked, it's not going to end well. But but let's now try and find a little bit of hope in, in this whole situation. Um, the modern world, for all its failings, it still has um, so much to offer. And, and the foundations really can be found for the modern world in the successes of the generations that have gone before. Like I said, we've just got to care to look for it there. Um, how important is it to make that connection to, to people who are less than willing to, to see that fact in an attempt to try and reclaim some of what we've lost and, and maybe begin a true reformation rather than a revolution, a, a true reformation of, of basically picking up what's been broken and restoring it rather than just replacing it with the next new thing. Well, if I may, in order to answer that, just um, hit two quick points about the fact that I, I don't think that the Protestant revolution is the last Protestant revolution. There were revolutions against the Protestant revolution, like the revolution of uh, the deists who stopped believing in Jesus, or the revolution of the, of the, um, of the secularists who stopped believing not just in, in, in Jesus, but in God. Sure. So that pro- the Protestant revolution is an ongoing revolution, and there are multiple Protestantisms, you know? And so who does the atheist possibly see as their worst enemy in the world? It's the Catholic Church. Who does the secularist, uh, you know, um, abortionist, you know, proponent of abortion see it as their enemy? It's the Catholic Church. The same enemy that, frankly, the 1850s Baptist had, <laughs> you know, like if you can all see who the enemy is, then maybe there's some, that says something about what the Catholic Church is. I do believe that the only way that we will go on to the next thing is uh, people getting married and having children. I mean, I would recommend to you as a Catholic man, Mark, find a good Catholic woman, have seven children. I would, because that would make you to me, the guy who saves the modern world. All right. Well, I'll tick that box. So what's next? <laughs> have you ticked both of those boxes yet tick, though? Do you tick. have the seven children yet? I do. Absolutely. Okay. The seventh was born three weeks ago yesterday. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I hate to be just crass about this, but there is a certain numbers game about this. Sure. That the secularists are refusing to procreate. Sure. They're not having babies. It's a, I don't want that. I want them to procreate and have babies. I'm not saying that, good, let them be barren. No, I, I don't. That's not like a full human life embraces giving itself to husband and wife, giving itself to children. I want them to have that. Sure. That big families again, but they won't because they believe they're killing the earth or something. They're terrified of, of babies. 
Um, and it, and there's something terrifying about babies, but I don't mean the natural terror of babies. I mean a, a new ideological terror of babies. And so the, the, the numbers say that your, your family wins. Sure. I mean, there's probably 20 secular families in your neighborhood. You add them all together. They don't have as many kids as you do, Mark. And that's so that is disappointing. That is really disappointing because from my perspective, it is hard for our children to grow in community when the community around us has a whole different set of ideals. Yeah, right. Yeah, but that's the thing is, though, your your kids then, uh, you know, they know Jesus. They know the roots of culture, which the the most the deepest root of culture is Christ in the Eucharist. Christ in the Eucharist makes culture. This is a totally different talk, but that's the truth. Sure. And so your children know that and they have, they don't just have words and revolutions and ideas. They have sacraments that make them holy. And they share those with their children, their children. Well, a hundred years from now, um, you know, your descendants might be the only people left in Australia. <laughs> and that, that, that's, that's, you know, that the fact that you and your wife did that is the most, I, I it's, it's, it's world transforming. I really believe that the sacraments of holy orders and matrimony are what saves the world and nothing. There's no banner you can hang up. There's no program you can have in the diocese that will do what those two things that Christ himself instituted as sacraments of service will do. Absolutely. And I, I think it's fair to say that Hillary Clinton got something right when she said it does take a village to raise a child. And yeah. We need the village, though, to to be on the same page so that we're happy to yeah. interact with that village. I know that you say in this presentation that you see one of the solutions to um, to the whole situation we find ourselves in now and, and a culture of death and everything else that's going wrong. You see one of the solutions uh, to be building monasteries. Now, I want to challenge you on that point because I can see where you're going, but to those people, and I'll play devil's advocate a little here, you don't get babies coming from monasteries. So how does that fit into the whole picture? You are so wrong. You do get babies coming from monasteries. And, I, and I'm not just talking about like the dirty monastery stories that we all... <laughs> yeah, let's, let's be clear on that, yeah. <laughs> you know, stuff happens. Okay, all right, people fall into sin. I'm not talking about that. But what happens, what a monastery does is it is a place where people come together a learning community, a community of love builds up around that monastery. And I'm telling you, monasteries do bring people together. They do make marriages happen. They do prepare people to be the parents that they need to be in, and, and the husbands and wives that they need to be. They do heal people when all those things are broken. I, I, monasteries uh, are very powerful creators. I mean, when you think about the monasteries, when you think about people like Augustine of Canterbury, you know, going out into the wilderness, basically, of England and founding monasteries, it's around those monasteries that the new England is formed, the, the new type of England. You know, England, which was, you know, the Picts up in the north who would, you know, gouge your eyes out if you looked at them the wrong way, and then the, the other tribes all around, vicious, cruel people not because they didn't have any you know like 
we're supposed to just say, oh, no, all these old cultures, they're just as good as our. No, they're not. You would not want to live with that. You would not want to live with the pics. Let me just put it there. (laughs) The monasteries go into those places and they transform those cultures. So now you have this merry old England. Well, why is it merry? It's merry because Christ is there. That's what made it merry. It wasn't merry before that. And that merriment brings more children. It brings a flowering of family. It brings a, so I do, I, 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 um, I see what you're saying about celibate monasteries, but they are at the root of a kind of family that never exists until they get there. Let me just be clear. I was playing devil's advocate. That's not what I was saying, but I know that's the question that people are going to ask. And I can actually speak. Yeah, yeah. What you're saying is that when I was dating my wife and we, we were going to youth groups that were put on by a local parish that was connected to a monastery and we had regular interaction with the brothers. There was a convent just up the road from that and we had somewhat interaction with the sisters there and we did get formation from the community and, yes. and I can speak for one to the power of that formation and it, it does two things. It does encourage people in their faith and within that, it, it makes uh, good Catholic marriages. It helps produce those. And, and from the youth group that I was part of, there was a few marriages just from the people within that group that formed out of that. And, but in addition to that, it also encourages people to see the religious life. And so you've actually got both branches here continuing on. It's, it's encouraging people toward their vocation, exactly. whatever their vocation is. So, so thank you for making the connection because I think it's a really important connection that needs to be made. And one other thing about the monasteries, I think there's a lot of people now who are thinking we need new structures. You know, we need new kinds of community and all that. I wouldn't believe them too quickly. I, it would it'd be okay to go back to the old structures. Sure. The, the massive outpouring of self-giving of the high Middle Ages, of the late Middle Ages, you know, throughout the Middle Ages, the, that it is involved in the celibate, monasteries of men and women if we could get even a tenth of that back the world would be transformed the world would be don't be too quick to think oh well we need new structures for the modern world no that's just your that's your modern revolutionary mind thinking sure think like a catholic and, and, and the foundations of that, as we've said a couple of times, are, are based way, way back and worked yeah. for so many years before someone had a better idea. So, yeah, we really do have to embrace yeah. what, what has gone before us. Now, the current pandemic situation um, that we find ourselves in at the moment has really left people in this enforced state of being more out of control than they would like. What are yeah. the chances that this could actually, though, snap them out of it, so to speak? and maybe help them to rediscover a, a true sense of reality. It's all work of the Holy Spirit. And, no. and if, the, if the Spirit chooses, then that's exactly what will happen, uh, especially if we cooperate. We've seen two very different reactions to what's going on. We see people that are whinging and complaining, everything's gone wrong, I can't do what I want to do, um, yeah. my life has completely changed. And then we see the other perspective of people that, have embraced the fact that they've got no control over the situation. They just have to go along with it. And they're, they're making the most of it. I mean, even here at, at Perusia, yeah, yeah. as I mentioned right at the start, we're making connections. We've already connected with more people this year just digitally than we did all of last year put together digitally, physically. Wow. We've already made that connection just through exactly like what we're doing now. So we can see yeah. a real benefit 
in a situation that we haven't chosen for ourselves, what's, I suppose, do you have any hope? Because, because I do, but do you have any hope that, that maybe people, after they go through their initial grumbling and complaining, might actually find a positive in what they would never have chosen for themselves, but maybe find a, yeah. a positive and make some sort of connection to realise that, hey, the way we were living wasn't great. We've now had an opportunity to reflect on that and to, to, to rethink it and, and maybe try something different. You know, the, the only, here's, here's my caveat. <clears throat> History suggests that people are, as a, as a whole, are not very good at learning lessons. You know, we always want to say, what lessons can we take from this? But we, I mean, we forget. Like we just, we just forget that's, we, we just move on. Most of life is coping. Sure. And so coping takes up so much of our time and our energy that we just move on. But if anything, I would say, I hope that, and I think this has happened to some people that a sense that of the impermanence of this life is the only way to have any joy. If you think that this is it, it's just horrible. That's horrible, bad news. Sure. But I mean, I, 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 tr I say this sometimes, especially when I talk to people my age or older, you know, groups of like gray hairs, we're not going to be alive that much longer. And that is really good news. Like we're just stop worrying, do what you can for the kingdom of God. You got a few years left, give everything that you can for that. Sure. You get to be dead soon. And that's such good news because then you're with the Lord, you're at peace. Like if you really believe that, it frees you up from all of this kind of um, temporal worry and all of this worry here in the world. And maybe, I mean, I, I, I don't know for me, like when they start saying things like, you know who this disease seems to be killing 56 year old white men. I'm like, I believe, <laughs> I believe that is my category. And then I'll go, but mostly ones that are overweight. And I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is about me. It has put me a little bit in contact with my mortality, but, um, you know, like Christian life used to be joyful because people were looking forward to what came next, oh. not because they were so confident that this world was going to get better and better and better. And maybe this will wake us up a little bit from that. I don't know. But I suppose that's my point is that you might tick a few of the boxes that this particular pandemic is, seems to be targeting, but you yourself have a hope beyond that. And it seems so many people oh. have been so attached to everything of this world. And when they are forced to start thinking about their mortality, maybe they can reconnect with maybe something they grew up with as a child and, and, and turn their back on along the way. And, and maybe they do have an opportunity here to, to that otherwise they, they might not have ever considered a little bit more about their mortality and then what comes next. Yeah, that's true. And now one thing I noticed too, and maybe you noticed this, uh, at least in my neighborhood, I saw a lot more families out biking together or taking a walk, Absolutely. walking the dog together. Yeah. That, they didn't have anybody else to hang around with. So like da the dads were home. And, sure. and, and so maybe something good will come from that. I do think there's a lot of people for whom life has become just a daily rat race. I'm t I don't want to get up. I, I just want to stay in my bed. I don't, but you got to, you got to keep, because you got the bills and you got to this and you got to that. And when they got a moment, even though it's a kind of an unpleasant moment, I think a lot of people are going, I'd kind of like that life. You know, sure. I'd like a little bit of the COVID life. Not, I don't want to go back to the, so, but I do think Mark, I don't, 
I'm not hopeful in the sense that I don't think there's a lot of bad things still coming. I don't, and I, maybe that's a horrible thing to say, but the total disconnect from reality that pe- many people are living in, that even whole governments are living in, is unbelievably dangerous and precarious. And I, I, I don't have hope that there's an easy way out of this. There is, a, there is, are glorious ways out of it that are coming, but no easy way out. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose I'm not trying to suggest that this is the the golden ticket that we've all been waiting for, but yeah. there's a real opportunity at the same time if we only care to see it that way. And Amen, and even brother. people that there are on on the faith and uh, that, that are connected with their faith and and are living a good life, we're not called just to live a good life. We're called to be saints and. And even we need a reality check from time to time to say, well, we are going to Mass on a Sunday and we are doing prayers with the family, but yeah. what aren't we doing? And I think we've been, all of us have really been given an opportunity, even people that are on that page have been given an opportunity to say, well, what more can I do? Because this path to sanctity isn't just that or just that. This is a whole life of, of striving. It's not something that we've actually achieved until we've achieved it. Right. No, that's right. I, I, I like what, I'm with you on all of that. And I hope, I do hope, um, uh, it's an election here in the United States, yeah. which starting to see much, a bit more of that in the news. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's almost like a state of war in many ways. <laughs> so I think I might just not be the most chipper guy right now. <laughs> I hate to say that, but I feel like mm, it's a pretty dangerous time. Yeah. And, and oh, absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. If we're not careful, it can have the opposite effect. I'm not saying it has to have this effect just because yeah, yeah. Like, we obviously need to embrace it and work on it. But yeah. I'm just saying that I, I see the hope in the situation that it could have that effect if we embrace it. And, and that's what I'm hoping people can take from everything that we're going through at the moment is look for the opportunity in it. Don't look at the negatives because there are negatives. I'm not saying this isn't a, a terrible thing that's happening. I'm not saying that this yes. isn't having a terrible impact on economies around the world and people who are now out of work and, and are just yeah. not seeing where the next dollar is coming from to support their family. I'm, I'm not dismissing any of that. And that's no, all the reality yeah. that we have to face. Right. But at the end of it all, if we're not working on it now, we're not going to learn any from it, anything from it looking back. So we have to actually be, be trying to see it as we're living it, seeing the right. positive we can take out of it so that when the time comes that some sort of normality, whatever that's going to look like, is restored, what are we doing differently so that if something like this ever happens again and there's every chance that it will um, we don't know what's ahead of us but we're better prepared to deal with it next time and then better prepared to deal with it the time after and and at the same time all the way along we're detaching from the world and holding something a little bit further beyond yes yes i mean detaching that's what jesus prescribes detach from the world and attach to him and if that's what's happening this is a very very good thing well, that's my if, prayer. That's my yeah, prayer. Yeah, I'll join you in that prayer. Yes, Fantastic. amen. Well, hopefully in the days ahead, we do really see a surge of people returning to churches. I know that here our um, Archbishop Anthony Fisher here in the Archdiocese of Sydney put a petition to the, to the, uh, to the government um, making the point that the way our lockdowns were set up, you could have a bus full of people pull up outside of his cathedral, but the number of people on that bus weren't allowed to fill the cathedral so many times bigger than that bus. They weren't allowed in there. So he put a petition which very quickly gained support and we increased the numbers allowed to attend mass from 10 to 50, which was God bless him for doing that because it was a step in the right direction. But we really look forward to the day where, where churches are open and and operating as, as we were, were used to before, 
But hopefully right. we can see that, that surge and we don't see people that have gotten so used to watching mass online and they feel, oh, I can just do it online. I don't need to, to go and attend in person because it's not the same thing, let's be honest. And no. we need to be there. And, and when the obligation is back, watching online just won't cut it. So, so I pray that we do return to that. From your own perspective and in the States, have people been, obviously people within Catholic Answers directly, we've heard from them, they've been missing the Mass and craving to be able to go back and receive the Eucharist. But within the parish community more widely as they're in lockdown, do you get a sense that they're really craving something that they've, they've lost and want to be able to, to get again? You know, I, the, from the pastors that I've spoken to about it, because that's almost exactly word for word the question that I've been asking them. Okay. And pa- pastors tell me, like, they have large numbers of parishioners who just have that hunger. And then they have another large number where they don't know. They haven't heard from them. They don't know. They have no clue whether these people are still connected or disconnected. And mm-hmm. like at my parish, you can only have a hundred people go to church at Sunday mass and you have to sit in the seat that's marked with the X, you know? So you, and so, and, and you, that's not very many of us, you know, it's a parish of thousands of people and, and a hundred people can go to each Sunday mass. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I, I just don't know what's going I think it's all going to come back. I think people want to come back. As a matter of fact, I would guess that if you can go to church uh, at, say, Christmas this year, if, if everyone's allowed to go to church, you're going to see an unbelievable outpouring at Christmas of people just wanting to come back. Um, but I, I'm sure that if, I mean, I know from myself, Mark, if I get disconnected from something, it's very hard for me to get myself back connected. and so. I'm sure that there are many people for whom, you know, they loved going to mass and all that, but the connection was not so strong that it couldn't be broken. And I wonder how long until we'll see them again. Sure. Absolutely. I I know that when I went back to, to, to a church here in, in, in Sydney, that when you go into the church, they have, sure, they're allowing 50 people in there, but you've got the situation where they've got tape on every second pew basically yeah, yeah. taping off so you can only get into every second pew and then you've got a sign saying how many people can sit on the pew. But not only is it taped, the tape says danger. Oh, that, that's awful, that, isn't it? It's a really terrible feeling to go into yeah. a church like that. And, and I can understand that they're trying to do the right thing and, and follow the guidelines, social distancing and all that. But it's really a, an antagonistic way of doing it, if you like. It's, it's yeah, that's, that this is that's spectacular, Mark. That's, I don't, I think that's a mistake. I think that's a mistake, actually. I mean, because you can make it clear without, uh, you know, allowing that kind of secular signage in there. It's that, that's not what the, that space is for. That's not. It's almost got the sense of the the police tape. You can't cross the police lines. Yeah. It's it's really this confronting thing. When I walked into that church, that was very confronting to actually see that. You think that's not what I expect to see when I walk into the church. And yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah. I mean, you know, pastors are doing the best they can and they got a million things. I, you know, and who knows who put it there or what, but and, and, and to, give them the of, to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe that's all they had, but it was yeah, just sure. a really, a really disappointing visual because I think that actually says something very, well, to me, it said something very the opposite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the opposite of the gospel. Sure. And, yeah. But I do think also that we're too quick because part of the modern 
mindset that we're just it's so ingrained in us is this thought that the secular authority is higher than the other authorities and secular things are real in a way that other things are not real. And so what's real, if a cop walks into the, and in America, we say cop and it doesn't mean anything bad. I don't know what, it, if a police officer walks in to a, um, a, a church, somehow the police officer is more real. He represents an authority that's more real than the priests in his vestments. You know, that there's, and we just, in, we internalize that, uh, this kind of colonizing of all space and all time by the state. And uh, I think Pope Francis has spoken out quite eloquently about that. We're not rebels against the state, sure. but that kind of signage and that kind of attitude, we should be preserving the difference of what's inside of a church than what's outside of a church. Yeah, absolutely. Well, God willing, all of this craziness does end soon and, and all of those sort of things are irrelevant. We don't need them anymore. So however people decide to to um, to section off the churches, there's just there'll be no need for it, hopefully very soon in the future. So we obviously we pray that, that that comes sooner rather than later. Look, thank you so much, Sai. I could talk with you forever on these sort of topics. And it, it's really an interesting topic. The the presentation itself that I mentioned at the start, whatever happened to the modern world, as I said, is now available uh, on through the Perusia website. You can purchase that video. That's uh, Go to the store page at uh, www.perusiamedia.com. And you can also stream that on the Perusia Media, the Perusia On Demand platform. Uh, and the, the website for that is perusia.vhx.tv. And we will put those links in the show notes. So I strongly encourage you to have a look at that presentation. It's it's very engaging, very thought-provoking and, and, and very well researched. I thank you for your, your work on that, Si, and, and for presenting that to us. And thank you. yeah, hopefully, hopefully it reaches a lot of people and, and it gets people thinking about where we're at now. And, and, and what needs to be done to to make a positive change for the future, and and what can people learn from now to to have that positive impact on the future? The same way we've learned from so many generations before us, uh, all the things that have led up to where we are now. Let's take this forward and actually step forward rather than feel like we're going backwards. So yeah, very engaging presentation. Whatever happened to the modern world? Look out for that. I very highly recommend it. Just before we finish, side. The Catholic Answers apostolate in general, it seems even with all this craziness to be going from strength to strength, the School of Apologetics is is up and running and, and, and being heavily promoted. That's something very exciting that's new at Catholic Answers. Yes, it's wonderful. I mean, Jimmy Aiken, uh, just one of the greatest uh, explainers and defenders of the Catholic faith in the world, sure. uh, did the first course, the introductory course, and then uh, Trent Horn, who's... You know, I don't know if people know Trent Horn. He's a he's an he's a suspect figure. I mean, I know that he's very. A lot of people don't like him. Uh, I personally have a, very, a lot of bad feelings for, towards him, but he did it. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not exactly selling it, is it? Uh, no, Trent's wonderful, and he did think, the second course. Which was that? I was going to say he does kill you in almost every episode of Captain Live and his examples. So yes, he uses me as example of 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 evils. Do you know one time he said to a woman? Would it be okay? And he gave a situation to kill Sai, and the woman said, "I don't know. What country is it in?" As if like, <laughs> as if like that's a morally re- relative thing. And I was like, the, "No country. There's no country where it's okay to kill Sai." Yeah. So he kills me a lot. But yeah, the the School of Apologetics. You can find it at schoolofapologetics.com. There's like a new class about every two months now, I think, and they're really really good. And uh. I really think that like what Perusia is doing, 
what EWTN is doing all around the world, but that there are others um, like uh, Radio Maria all around the world, what we're doing here at Catholic Answers. Uh, people are getting educated in their faith. Sure. And that's that's a dangerous thing. The next thing you know, people all over the world are going to be believing in Jesus and will be loving each other. Absolutely. That, imagine that. Wouldn't it's it be a great? dangerous possibility, but yeah. I think, yeah. So I, I, if I have hope, it's in that, that. I do think people are learning their faith and, and actually living it, having babies, getting married, loving their neighbors Absolutely. before long. Yeah. It'll be Christendom again. God willing, that's it. Uh, and just one other thing as well. Um, I know um, something that Catholic Answers is doing is I just got my own copy this morning of the, the most recent um, Catholic Answers magazine. It's one of the only Catholic magazines still going around and, and we received ours. That's, that's the one. It was in our letterbox this morning. So, yeah, I highly recommend people to subscribe um, to, to that magazine. You can get it online or there is a, there's still the physical version out there and, and you people can get just both. aren't doing that, but there's, there's such a value in holding it in your hand. So I highly recommend a subscription to the Catholic Answers magazine as well. So yeah, great Thank work you, at Catholic Answers. We really appreciate what you're doing and long may it continue and, and keep up the good work. I feel like we're bl- brothers in the struggle, Mark. Uh, Catholic, you and, you and me, but also Catholic Answers and Perusia. I, yeah. It just, I mean, it's all the same thing. And uh, we feel so... I, it gives me so much hope to get to to know that you guys are there, to know that yeah. you're doing what you're doing. I mean, and I know that there are people doing it all over the world, everywhere except France. No, probably even in France. They're do- <laughs> That's actually a theme of the presentation I'm talking about is you've got this, this joke against France. And when you were giving the presentation live in the room, the Australian audience is sitting there scratching their heads. And Why is he so mad at France? <laughs> Chris Jack and Tim Staples, Tim Staples over in the corner sort of smirking to themselves. Yeah. So they, they got the in joke. <laughs> well, uh, France is our lady's country. She loves it more than any other, even more than Australia, even more than America. She That's loves right. France. So, but no, but thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're, we're going to end it there. But to those um, who would like to continue following you, your, your Catholic Answers program, for those listening in Australia, it's every Tuesday morning through to Saturday morning. At the moment, with the current time zones, it's 10 a.m. till midday. And that's basically a Monday afternoon Friday to Friday afternoon program every week. So look out for Cy on Catholic Answers Live. I'd also recommend the Catholic Answers Focus podcast. Look up the Catholic Answers Focus podcast in, in podcast world, wherever you get your podcast from. Um, real, um, uh, I suppose, more um, direct discussions on a particular topic. Catholic Answers Live is your, your Q&A with callers, but Catholic right. Answers Focus, you, you hone in on a topic with with any particular guest and, and really drill down into that. So I highly recommend the Catholic Answers Focus podcast as well. So that's been another Perusia podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening and stay tuned for many exciting guests coming up. Uh, please also do share the links to this podcast to your family and friends and let's build the community. And we, we hope to hear from you in all the feedback forums that are available through the various different platforms as well. If you have any suggestions as to who you'd like to bring onto the podcast, or if you have any feedback on any of our discussions, we'd love to hear from you as well. So that's been another Perusia podcast. My name is Mark Griffin. Thank you very much for listening and may God bless you.